Hey there, and welcome to Church of the Beloved's weekly sermon podcast. My name is Kevin Zoe, and I serve on staff as the production manager here at COTB. This week's message is brought to us by Pastor Abe Lee, who is visiting from San Francisco. He is preaching from Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. I want to start off by saying that it feels very good to be up here again. It's only been a few weeks, uh, but Suzette and I, we do miss you all very, very much. By the way, if anyone from our church in San Francisco happens to be watching, we love you too. Um, it's good to be here. It just it feels right. Um, for those of you who have not had the joy uh, of meeting yet, let me provide a little bit of context and background. My name is Abe. Uh, I have had the privilege, the honor, the joy of serving as pastor here at Church of Little Love for a number of years, uh, past years, through the pandemic, through a lot of weirdness that's happened at this church until about a month ago. Uh, we moved to San Francisco. And I happened to be in town this weekend because uh, I had a chance to officiate a wedding for one of our regular attendees. Her name is Joanna Kim, she's a photographer. Her name is now Joanna Choi. Uh, and since I was going to be back in town anyway, uh, we made arrangements and I have the honor and privilege of dedicating three beautiful babies. We even tried to pull the hair out of my face. Uh, dedicating them before they grow too big to roast me, like our children over the age of three, typically like to be. So far, so good. Um, and since I'm here, today I have the joy of contributing to the sermon series, which I left behind for our preaching team to teach from for the next 10 weeks. God's top 10. That's the name of it. Now, I'll tell you, the folks who are involved in the logistics uh, behind the scenes for Trick of the Beloved, they know that the original name for this sermon series, it wasn't God's top 10. It was, I think, God's big 10. Um, but one of my parting gifts, I think it was a gift, is I changed it from Big Ten to Top Ten because, one, I'm not a sports guy. I don't know much about sports, and it took me a while to figure out what Big Ten was referencing. And if you don't know, you're like me. It's um, college? College. Uh, college sports. And the second reason is I'm I'm a little old. Older. Um, I'm not old yet. I'm older. Because there was a TV show back in the 80s. It was called The David Letterman Show. And uh, if you know it, great. If you don't... His big thing was uh, every night you would do a top ten list, right? I'll tell you, I went online because I was wanting to give you an example of one of Dave's top ten. But I was going through them, and most of them would, if I shared them from the pulpit, most of them would have demonstrated an unhinged version of myself that would have been totally on brand. But I didn't think it would necessarily be beneficial for us as a church until I found one. It was one. Um, it's the top 10 fears of being a McDonald's manager. Uh, and the only one that really resonated with me was number two. Number two on the list was this. Even after selling a billion Big Macs, I still feel kind of empty. So, for those of you who don't think it's funny, it's funny. I tell you, it's funny. It was funny 20 years ago, 30 years ago. These, calling these 10 commandments God's top 10, as I was thinking about it, it's kind of doing the Ten Commandments a little bit of a disservice. Though. So I'm sorry that we called it that. I watched uh, Derek, our elder, preach a few weeks ago, and I, I love how you picked it up. Um, if I could summarize, Derek, 
basically what I heard was uh, Derek shared that these commandments were given to us by God so that we might be set apart from the rest of the world for God. Right? And I agree. At the same time, these commandments point out, out how impossible it is to be set apart for God without God, without the work that was done by His Son, Jesus Christ. There's a passage in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus said this. He said, Don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. In other words, Jesus came into the world to take on the cost of our sins so that the law could be fulfilled by him for us. God's grace and God's mercy and God's love, it is evidenced by Christ so that the law could become more real for all of us in our lives today by the work of Jesus Christ and by the dwelling of the Holy Spirit within us. The law has become more real because of what Jesus did, because Jesus is here. Now, before I get into today's specific commandment that we're going to focus on, I want to re-emphasize a very foundational understanding of the Ten Commandments. A foundational understanding of the Ten Commandments that the New Testament presents to us. In Romans chapter 7, verse 9 to 12, I'm going to be reading a different translation than we traditionally use here at Church of the Beloved. It's called the Passion Translation. I really appreciate how they translated this. In the Passion Translation, starting with verse 9, it says, I once lived without a clear understanding of the law. But when I heard God's commandments, sin sprang to life and brought with it a death sentence. The commandment that was intended to bring life brought me death instead. Sin, by means of the commandment, built a base of operations within me, overpowering me, me to death. So then we have to conclude that the problem is not with the law itself, but the law's old. And his commandments are correct for our good. See, Paul, when he wrote this out, this letter in Romans, Paul understood that the good and the perfect law that God gave to his beloved, it was given so that we could be set apart, set apart as a royal priesthood, set apart as a holy nation. Yet, this perfect law was and is impossible for us to follow. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1 to 2, reading the Christian Standard Bible version of it, the author tells us that since the law has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the reality itself of those things, it can never perfect the worshippers by the same sacrifices they continually offer year after year. Otherwise, wouldn't they have stopped being offered since the worshiper purified once and for all? no longer have any consciousness since. So, you need to understand that the law, that these Ten Commandments, they were never, they were never going to save us. The work of the perfect, the work of the sinless Son of God, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that is what saves us. Right? And, and now, because Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, now I can live by these men. 
because I've been crucified with Christ, and because it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lived in me. Now these laws, these commands, now I can live by them. Now I can live by them because when Jesus went back to heaven to start preparing our home, the home for you and for me, he left behind the house. Jesus left behind the Holy Spirit who abides in his love. In you and in me. Now we can live by the law. We can live by the law by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because at the heart of it all, these Ten Commandments, the law, it is for the redeemed. It is not given to I want you to keep that in mind. Uh, I'm going to quickly recap the last few weeks, as I understood it, because I was listening in, uh, stalking Eric and the others a little bit. If you're just joining us today for the first time, over the last few weeks, Beloved's teaching team, they've been breaking down the Ten Commandments one by one. And Derek, he preached on the first one, that there is only one God. Pastor Joyce, a few weeks back, she preached on the second one, which is, do not replace our one God with an idol. The third, and this is from Pastor Ashanti last week, uh, he preached, by the way, if you're not aware, the reason we didn't have a live stream last week and we were looking for it is because we need volunteers. So pay attention. There's a ministry friendly coming up pretty soon. It's not just to introduce you to the different ministries and opportunities that, and community groups. It's to allow you the opportunity to serve. Uh, yeah, the one person in the background is clapping because she's desperately wanting volunteers to help out in the back. So, if you don't know what I'm talking about, that's okay. uh, we're just looking for people to get involved and help out here at Church of the Beloved. Anyway, Pastor Ashanti preached that we need to remember that God's name is too beautiful to live. Today, we look at the fourth commandment. And the fourth commandment is to keep this day, keep the Sabbath. What I want to do is I want to just focus on and read the part that we're going to be looking at specifically today. It's verses 8 to 11. Let me read that to you again. Thank you very much, Lizzie, for reading originally. But it says there, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You're to labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath for the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You, your son or daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock, or the resident alien who is within your city gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them, in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath. Um, there are, let me ask the kids a question. Who likes sharks? Are you a shark guy? You're a shark guy. Which shark cannot stop swimming? Kochi, if it's one of the, uh, there are a few different sharks that if they stop swimming they'll die. You know? Yeah. Do you know which one? Then? Any anyone? The nurse. Uh, which one cannot stop? Okay. <laughs> the great white. Keep swimming. Yeah. All right. Good job. The great white is one of the sharks. There are a few others, you're right, uh, that cannot stop swimming or they'll die, right? 
Alan, it was Shark Week when Suzette, my wife, and I, we, were, I, we learned this little fact for you. Um, and I remember I turned to Suzette. And I said, I'm a shark. And I told her, it's because I cannot stop moving. Actually, as you notice on stage, I can't stop moving. When all our stuff, I just, uh, my wife and I just moved from Chicago to San Francisco. And when our stuff arrived in San Francisco, it was a few weeks ago, I spent the next four days, approximately 18 hours a day, from 6 a.m. to 1 a.m. I did take a break to read the Bible and eat some food. But otherwise, I spent 18 hours a day unpacking and setting up the house. It's a huge house. It's a five-bedroom house. It's a big house. This is why I'm still wearing this lady. Um, I basically exacerbated the heck out of this thing, and now I have to put this ankle brace back on. Because I'm a shark. I need to keep moving or I die. Um, the funny thing is the church staff actually knows this about me as well. They, they know that I can't stop moving. Uh, so last Christmas, they bought me a book titled The Rest of God, Restoring Your Soul by Restoring Sabbath. I haven't finished reading it yet. I, I, I share this because resting, taking a Sabbath, it is really unnatural. Very unnatural. It's not something I do. Or I'm, I'm not good at it. So today's message is definitely more for me than for those of you here who already have a healthy, gospel-transformed understanding of God's design for Sabbath. But I'm hoping that maybe there will be something beneficial to you from what I've learned about what it means to keep this day holy, what it means to keep the Sabbath. So here's the first thing that I learned as I was looking and preparing for today's message. And the first thing that I uh, have to remember and remind myself is that keeping the Sabbath holy, this is something God introduced at the very beginning of creation. It's not something that came as a surprise when he passed the Ten Commandments on to Moses and the Israelites. In other words, keeping the seventh day holy is not an afterthought. It's a forethought. God had it in mind. Genesis chapter 2, verse 2 to 3, it says specifically, on the seventh day, God had completed his work that he'd done. And he rested. Rested on the seventh day from all his work. God blessed the seventh day. He declared it holy. But on it he rested all his work. I'll tell you, no one who's here right now in this room, not even Luke, and Henry and Noah. No one listening online is greater than God. And God's design was to work for six days and then rest the seventh. And if this is what God does, we cannot believe or think of ourselves as being greater than God and not needing to do the I don't care if the seventh day can't be on Sunday because you, know, you work in the restaurant industry, the healthcare industry, or whatever industry that makes it impossible for you to join us here in person to worship our God and King and keep the Sabbath day holy. <laughs> but God's design was for us to work for six and then keep the seventh day holy. That's His design. This day is supposed to be set apart. Everything that we do before this day, these six days before, is intended to help us prepare to make this day. Uh, back in the day, I used to be a consultant for a software company. It was a consultant for a startup. We were based in Silicon Valley. My boss used to tell me to keep a packed suitcase in my car just in case I need to fly 
to deal with confidence. And I remember I was on the road 95% of the time. Um, so I barely got to see my wife. And for those of you who are newly married, this is not a good recipe for marriage. You don't want to be with God that long. That's another story, though. One thing I remember promising to Suzette is this. I would always make sure that we were together on Jesus. I didn't care where it was I was in the world. I was, wherever I was traveling to, I'd be traveling to Ireland, to India, to Australia, to Utah. It didn't matter. Wherever I was, I would either fly her to me or I would fly back to her. Because I did what I had to do for my six days so that my seventh day The crazy thing is God calls us to be in a relationship with him. And, and we start that by doing what God did when he created us. Make the seventh day a holy day. Divine rest with him. This is the intentional design God says that we have to do. We have to do. That was it. That's the first observation. The simple one. The second observation is this, for me at least, is as I was considering this command, Second observation is that a divine rest, it is not just taking a break. Now, I'm not saying that physical rest is not essential. It absolutely is. There's studies, there's evidence that getting sleep, good rest, it improves mental health, emotional health, physical health. Staying up until 4 a.m., doom scrolling through YouTube or TikTok, playing League of Legends or Minecraft, these are not good things. There's not they're not not good things because they're not holy. I don't care about that. It's just unhealthy. And again, I'm saying this to you. I'm preaching to myself. No judgment to those of you who were up until 4 a.m. last night doing whatever. Um, but this type of rest is different than what God is saying and commanding us to do when we keep this thing holy. Divine rest is different. Provide context from today's passage. Some of you are probably familiar with this. You've grown up in the church, so I apologize if I'm repeating stuff you already know. But regardless, for those who are not aware, the creation story in Genesis is so much more than just simply a story of God speaking and creating humans and nature and stuff like that. The creation story is a story of God creating His temple. This is the temple, the cosmic temple. King Solomon tried to mirror this cosmic temple when he built the first one for Israel. Solomon was trying to provide Israel a glimpse of God's cosmic temple. This is the temple that now dwells in God's beloved. The cosmos is God's temple. Now, the original readers of this creation story, the listeners of this story, they were the Israelites, right? They were the ones that had just escaped from slavery after uh, from Egypt, and they've been doing a lot of building. So they were very familiar with the idea of temple building. They understood what temple building entailed. They understood that once you build a temple, once the temple building is finished, you go into the temple. You rest. In other words, the original listeners of this creation story from Genesis as well as from Exodus, the original receivers of this command, they understood that the temple's purpose, the temple is a place of divine rest. And here's the thing. We need to understand that divine rest in the temple, as defined and as demonstrated by God, divine rest does not look like human rest. It's not simply taking a 
afternoon nap. God didn't get tired from all his creation. That wasn't his thing. He didn't need an afternoon boba. I know y'all do, so stick around for afterwards for that. We didn't need coffee or tea to keep his eyes open. He didn't need a nap. Divine rest for God meant that now he would enter into this constant temple that he had just built and get to the business of running. In other words, we don't worship a distant God who set the world spinning and then walked away. No. We worship a God who's in his temple doing the divine work of running the world. That is his example of divine rest. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, it says this, For everything was created by him, by God, in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him before him. He is before all things. By him, all things hold. See, there's the old song, you know, he's got the whole world in his hand. This is what it means for God to exercise his divine rest. This is what it means that God has made the Sabbath day holy. God's divine rest resulted in God's divine work. What does it mean for us? Right? What does it mean? What does a divine rest look like for you and for me? And I'll tell you, for me, I believe, I think that this probably applies to you as well. If God's divine rest is God's divine work, then our divine rest should be also our divine work. And our divine work is simply this. Worship. See, keeping the Sabbath day holy means simply to worship God. Not to play golf or soccer. It means gathering in the completed temple to do the work of worship. Psalm chapter 55, verse 6 says, Come, let's worship and bow down. Let's kneel before the Lord our Maker. Psalm 99, verse 5 says, Exalt the Lord our God. Bow in worship at His footstool, for He's holy. Luke chapter 24, verse 52 to 53 says, After worshiping him, Jesus, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple. Praise him. Divine rest is committing to the divine work of worshiping God. It means that on this day, I stop trying to do everything that I think I need to do, and I remember and I worship the truth that God has done everything that needs to be done means that one day a week, at least, I remember that it is God who is the source of that at least one day a week, I remember it is God who holds all things together. I remember for at least one day a week, I remember that God loves me and loves you and he came to take on the cost of my lack, of my trauma, of my hurt, that this God demonstrated his love through his sacrifice for our redemption. At least one day I do this so that I might be carried through the other six days. That's what divine rest is. 
is taking the time to stop thinking about me and start thinking about God. He's and when we do this, when we take the time to regularly take a divine rest by doing the divine work of worship, the gift of God's Sabbath can be realized. Keeping the Sabbath day holy allows us to remember that it is God's grace, not our effort, that redeems. Remembering reminds us of God's grace and greatness and majesty. The divine work of worship draws us near to our Redeemer. I just want to share one last observation. Um, and then we will finish off for today. Keeping the Sabbath day, keeping this day holy, it is not a it should not be a burden. It should be a blessing. Now, practically speaking, the idea of a weekend, I don't know if you know this, it didn't always exist. I, there, I watched, used to watch Downton Abbey. There's this uh, character, I can't remember her name. She was looking at one of the commoners, and one of the commoners happened to mention something about having a time on the weekend to finish some task. And she turns to him. Uh, she was a grandmotherly matriarch person there. What's, what is a weekend? Um, it's a little She didn't know what a weekend was because she was too rich. Anyway, uh, taking the time away from the daily grind. She didn't have to because she had no daily grind. Taking the time away from your daily grind is not a bad thing. It's a good, it's a very good thing. And it's something you absolutely should be doing. If you're working seven days a week, there's a problem. You need to quit your job. Um, but one of the demands, I don't know if you know this, one of the demands of the auto workers who are striking, it is to consider moving from a five-day to a four-day week. Not just four tens. 32 hours a week. Makes me want to be an auto worker. Um, if they get it. Uh, rest is not a burden. And I think we understand that in the regular world, rest Divine rest must be a blessing. Divine rest should not be seen as a burden. Divine rest should be seen as a blessing. Unfortunately, in today's world, that's not necessarily how we view coming to church on Sunday sometimes. If you got kids, uh, trying to get your kids into the car early enough or on the train or whatever, or have them sitting still, it's challenging for you. You might be stressful. It can feel difficult. If you don't have kids, and you just like to sleep. Waking up before noon to come to a 10 o'clock service, I understand. It can be challenging. And if you're one of the ones involved with our worship ministry or our welcome ministry or our tech ministry, waking up to get here by like 8, pray for that. Um, it's even more difficult. But this is not what God intended when it came to divine rest. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3 says this, For this is what love for God is. To keep His commands. And His commands are not The man command to keep this day holy, to enter into a divine rest by coming together for the divine work with the beloved community of God on Sundays, this was intended to be a blessing. It was intended to revive. It was intended to rejuvenate. Matthew 12 and Mark chapter 2. It tells the story of Jesus' disciples. They're walking around. They're hungry. It's the Sabbath day. And so they broke some grain off a stalk and started eating it. And somehow, I don't know, the Pharisees, they were getting all hot and bothered about this. And they were complaining to Jesus because that's work. And so they're saying, Jesus' disciples, Jesus, your disciples should not be working on the Sabbath day. They're working by breaking the stalk off these uh, leaves of grain. And Jesus straightens them out. 
he explains to them that they've missed the point entirely. He explains that keeping the Sabbath day holy is not what they think it is. Matthew chapter, Mark chapter 2 verse 27 says then, he told them, the Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. See, entering into a time of divine rest was never meant to be a burden. It was meant to be a blessing for all of us here. But I'll say this. For those of you for whom it is, is a, it is a struggle, a struggle to be a part of this community on Sunday. Maybe, maybe there's some trauma. Trauma associated with a past church hurt that makes coming to church hard. Being in the presence of others. Maybe, maybe you just don't want to put yourself out there. You don't want to be in this place. You don't want to interact with people because you keep thinking, you know, church is a place where introverts, uh, I'm sorry, extroverts thrive and introverts die. You know, that's the way you feel like. Maybe you feel like it's the only day that you can get some sleep. You'll just catch the stream later. We are commanded by God to keep this The Sabbath. Called to keep the whole day. Keeping this day holy, it requires me and it requires you to consider this. Are we prioritizing our God? Are we prioritizing our King on this day? In other words, am I willing to take the time not only to get up early, but also to make space to see how God might use me on this day? how God might use me as I gather and make time for my sisters and my brothers in Christ in this space. It means me intentionally making time before and making time after to connect with the beloved of God to do the divine work of worship. But it's not just about taking the practical step of committing time on this day to worship God. No, there's on this day to worship God in this community. It's also allowing the Spirit of God transform me from within. In Romans chapter 12 verse 2 it says this, don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. I want to share a story. My wife Suzette, she's part of Hands at Work in Africa. It's a missions organization. Love, the Church of the Beloved partners with them. Uh, and they're the organization that a team of uh, a short-term missions team will be traveling to next year, Zambia, uh, for a couple weeks. One year, I remember she was telling me the story. She was working with some optometrists, and they were helping do eye exams. Right? They had brought a whole bunch of used glasses from the U.S. and they brought it with them. And so they were testing everybody in the community. And she tested one person, helped test one person. And she found a pair that matched his prescription. And, and she helped him put the glasses on. This person's face just These lenses changed his perspective. These lenses let him see. You might be somebody who's in therapy, maybe getting counseling right now. Um, I want you to consider, there are probably moments when you're talking to your therapist when he or she will provide some insight about how you have been perceiving a particular situation. Suddenly, you see that situation with a new set of lenses. Suddenly, your situation, it hasn't changed, but your perspective on it has, because your lenses have changed. 
See, we're called to be conformed by the renewing of our minds. It's not about changing our circumstances necessarily. It's about changing our perception so that we can see God in our circumstances. The fourth commandment is to keep the Sabbath day holy. Keep this day holy. It's something we have to do. It is from the beginning design. And keeping this holy day Keeping this day holy, it means that we enter into a time of divine rest by doing the divine work that was ordained by God. Worship And our divine work becomes a blessing to us and to our community. Our community of children, of sisters, and of brothers. And we allow the transformative work of the Holy Spirit to change the lenses that we see this world to allow the gospel of Christ to change our perspective. We allow the gospel of Christ to transform us into the love of God. That is the I'm going to ask if the band can make their way up. Let's close this time with prayer. I'm sure the children will be very happy about that. We're almost done. Hey, we're almost done. Let's pray. Thanks for tuning into this week's COTB Sermon Podcast. For more info or to connect with us online, you can find us at cotb.life.